0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Series 2 of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield, a.k.a. Not Another Sales Guy. I'm a sales and mindfulness coach, trainer, consultant, and speaker. I work with corporate sales teams and leaders, along with startup business owners passionate about what they do, but wanting to up their sales game. My main mission is helping us all become more mindful of how we elevate our performance, perspective, and potential. If you want to know more, then look me up on LinkedIn, Chris Hatfield, always happy to chat. So if you're new to Not Another Sales Podcast, here's what to expect. It's aimed at giving you insights into how you can be successful within the world of sales, whether that's your career or your own business. We go deeper into the thought process and mindset needed for success when selling and when running a business, not just the skills and output. So if you're looking for a podcast with a difference that starts with the mind in mind, this is for you. So enough about me, let's get started. On today's episode, I'm joined by Ashley Kelly Mealy and Kevin KD Dorsey. Ashley is the co-founder of SDR Ready and Senior Director of Sales Development at Brex. And Kevin, or KD, is Inside Sales Top 10 Sales Leader, Sales Development Exec of the Year, and VP of Inside Sales at Patient Pop. On today's episode, we're going to start by talking around, should salespeople stop reinventing the wheel or consistently be going outside of it in terms of their process and their thought process as well? We're also going to be discussing the ever-growing need of why authenticity, adaptability, and resilience matter in sales more than ever, and how you as a salesperson can get more comfortable with rejection, along with how leaders and organizations can create the right kind of environment to support it and learn from it. So sit back, grab a pen and pad, and enjoy. Ashley, Kevin, welcome. How are you doing?
1: Good. Doing great. I'm
2: excited. Great. I'm excited to be here. Let's do this. Good.
0: Good. Thank you for joining me on an episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I've um, been waiting for this patiently for the last couple of weeks since we started talking about it. So really appreciate you being here, particularly with what's going on in the world right now. So for people tuning in who might not be too familiar with either of you, it'd be great to give them a bit of context in terms of your background, any particular story that you want to share. So if we start with you, Ashley, for people who aren't too familiar with who you are, what's what's your story?
1: Thank you. Ladies first. I like that. Um, So yes, my name is Ashley. I um, am the Senior Director of Sales Development at Brex. I uh, actually started my career as an SDR. So I have a good amount of experience, um, probably almost 10 years, uh, in the field. And so, um, excited just to be here and talking with KD. I've been, uh, working with him a little bit outside of, uh, business. And so we are, um, you know, helping partner and work with different SDRs across, across the country.
0: Great. Great. Thank you. And thanks again for being here. And KD, what about yourself?
2: Yeah. I'm um, Kevin Dorsey, KD, uh, VP of inside sales at patient pop. Um, you know, kind of been in the game now for, for a while running teams, very similar to, to like, I I love the scale taking something kind of from nothing and building it into like repeatable processes. And so really excited to have this chat and super pumped to be on here with, with AK because, you know, I think it's a powerful combo here. So it should be fun, enlightening, probably a little bit random, but I'm I'm ready for it. Let's rock.
0: (laughs) The more random it is, the better. I love a bit of randomness. Great. Well, um, well thank you both for coming on and, um, you know, really interested to hear your thoughts on what we're going to be discussing today. And that leads me to the to the first point of what I've been looking at recently over the last few episodes is kind of starting to tackle a bit of around these kind of sales myths, these statements, these thoughts, these throwaway comments that kind of probably meant something to the person saying them at the time. But over the years and the way in which they're contextualized and sort of communicated, can get lost in translation and you know when we were speaking about this one of the things I think it was UKD who suggested talking about this kind of thing is you know even the world of sales we're often looking for new ways to engage with people and different ways to do things and shorten sales cycle but sometimes it's just about you know, not reinventing the wheel in sales. So I'd love to start with that, and you know, people often say, "Stop it, reinventing the wheel. Go with what you know." But to get your perspective, both of you, really, on that and how true that is, and if there's any things you'd like to add, really. So, Ashley, let's start with you. What's your what's your take on that in terms of not reinventing the wheel when it comes to selling?
1: Yeah, I think it. You know, it's interesting. I think obviously SDR is is predictable it's been built as a predictable model. And so I think, you know, the wheel itself is is working. So you don't want to fix what isn't broken. But by all means, I think like you have to continue evolving. And so I was thinking about this, like as an analogy, as far as like, the wheel kind of starts as a wheel, it can build into, into a skateboard into a, into a scooter, and then eventually into a car, right? Like once you have the foundation there, and so I was thinking, um, you know, what are some of those things that um, you can start to hone in on and build and finesse over the course of how you're improving your process and how you're improving that wheel? And so I was thinking about this a lot. And Katie, i um, curious to hear what, what you think. But to me, testing out new mediums seems to be like the most popular thing right now, um, especially within like social and video. Um, our whole world is in this remote environment where even our grandparents have had to figure out how to use zoom and so i think prospects are that much more inclined to to be attracted to these new types of mediums that are in our world and so um that's stuff that i'm having my team start to focus on right now
0: Mm, yeah absolutely from yourself kd
2: Yeah. Well, one, I need to get Ashley's tips on how to get grandparents to use Zoom because I still can't get my dad. I still can't get my dad to use it. So we just, hey, it's not coming on. Hey, it's like, God damn it, dad. Okay. Anyway, to this. So I'm glad it's it's funny. I'm glad Ashley with the process side because I believe processes and tactics can change but people don't change that much and i think that's where people are always trying to reinvent the wheel is they forget that people at our core have a lot of the same core drivers values and needs that we have for centuries mm-hmm. and people tend to forget that right and so if you think about what most people want what most people want and what drives them to change behavior it's things like security ego status, emotional well-being, if you remember those four things, that has not changed in thousands of years. And so, but what's happening is a lot of people are trying to change the process, but leaving the human element out of it, right? So to Ashley's point earlier of like trying different channels and different mediums, you do have to do that. That does constantly need to adapt and change. But what humans want doesn't. And so our messaging tends to miss the mark there very often, right? Is we skip the emotional part. We skip the fear. We skip the risk aversion. We skip how it's going to affect them as a person. And so that's what I mean when I say like things, all these new tactics and tricks are getting people away from like, all right, are we actually addressing the core problems of our prospects and doing it in a way that makes them feel good about
0: it? Mm. And do you think that's why sometimes when organizations through their sales function grow, they think they need to change how they adapt and approach, but they kind of lose sight sometimes of keeping some of those fundamentals the same?
2: Yes. And in fact, oftentimes they never teach the fundamentals. They hope the process or the tool will sell for them. Like, oh, we got sales off and oh, we got gong and oh, we've got you know, contact data. But they never actually taught their people how to sell. Right. This is one of the reasons why I think AK and I have vibed so well. She has such a strong passion for developing people. And so do I. Like, I'll spend 90% coaching the person on how to sell the right way. The tool just amplifies it, you know, but Mm. people hope the tool will fix it. And that's not how it works.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, I think you see it too, especially when you're watching reps grow in their career too. So being an FCR leader, I've seen a ton of people promote into the account executive role. And if they don't have the skills and the training that Katie is talking about, all of a sudden they're in a whole new role. And that's when they start wanting to reinvent the wheel because it's not working, right? So you get comfortable in one place. And then once, you, once you're once you moving on and into more advanced selling, if you don't have those core functions and skill sets, then that's where you want to kind of freak out and try and try and reinvent the wheel.
2: Yeah. So something something that we do and I'm not sure if a lot of teams do. Actually I was just talking about this with someone in the revenue collective this week is when my SDRs get promoted, they go into a four week closing boot camp. Right. Just because someone was a good SDR doesn't mean they know how to close. Right. So they get the promotion but they don't get to close right away they go into a 4 week closing boot camp right where they're learning how to pitch they're learning how to do discovery they're learning how to negotiate do the follow up write a good proposal right we teach them how to do the role before they go into it just because they watched it for a year doesn't mean they actually know how to do it right like i I've, I've been watching gymnastics since i was you know 4 years old don't put me on a balance beam. Like, no good's <laughs> gonna come from that. And so like why good money takes, to see that. <laughs> not <laughs> no, nobody wanna see that. <laughs> right. So I think it's just so important that what that we're teaching the right thing. So much of onboarding at companies is on the product and on the process. And so little of it is on the problem, the person, and the prospect. And that's where more of our focus needs to go.
0: Mm yeah yeah and i think to both your points as well when we're talking about not reinventing the wheel quite often a lot of sales people don't know what the wheel even looks like in the first place sure. um you know i had uh, someone else from the revenue collective Pete crosby on a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about you know when he interviews people he wants to know their process like how do you go about like what works for you like if you spoke to a surgeon you spoke to a lawyer they know their process back to front but a lot of the time People don't know what their wheel even looks like. So therefore, they're so easily swayed in terms of another direction and not even standing by what suits them, really.
2: Oh, for sure. Sales reps love the number one. Love it. If it works once, it's gold. Oh, I've got this magic line, right? Oh, this is how I handle this objection because it worked once. it also works the other way. It doesn't work once. I are mean, like, this doesn't work. KD, that training didn't work. I did it and it didn't work. Salespeople are awful at measuring the process. They have no idea. They have no idea if it's working or not. And then that causes them to try to change something that either wasn't broken or they didn't even know if it was working in the
0: first place. Hmm. So for you, Ashley, then how do you go about doing that with your teams and people coming into the business to help them identify that wheel and sort of stick by it really?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think it starts with building trust with them too and showing where where other reps have been successful. I lean on my reps a ton. So I, I laugh all the time. Like I can tell people what to do and they won't do it and then someone you know comes in from the outside like we had Morgan Ingram on doing a training and he had this like revolutionary idea and the team's like oh my gosh like so bought in and I'm like I was saying that before <laughs> but so like getting more buy in from other people too I think is is important I think mm-hmm. I love teaming up my reps with more senior reps in the organization and so they have like a buddy and a mentor and it, sometimes they're in the same segment sometimes they're supporting the same vertical Maybe they're not, but then they're able to learn different things from each other and start to share back and forth. Um, mm. But yeah, leveraging the the reps, I think, is huge too.
0: Yeah. And what about from your perspective, KD, on that?
2: Yeah, um, very similar. We do a lot of tribal training, right? And so I believe that the process should be identified or built by the leader, right? Like we define what the process should be. Because also, too, we are able to kind of step out of it Look at it from a higher view, get back into it, see how it's working. So, the process should be defined by leadership. And if they're doing it the right way, they're involving reps, right? Like, if I'm just sitting in an ivory tower somewhere and like come down with the playbook, like the 10 commandments, like that's not going to work, right? But you build the process out, but then it is on the team to help each other. So, we call it tribal training, right? It's like the tribe trains the tribe, but they're training to the process. It's not 10 different reps telling, my poor new reps, 10 different ways to do something, right? Because then I, I, I you see it, right? You look at this new rep and they're like, so what do I what do I do? <laughs> right. Because 10, 10 person t- people gave them their one tip, right? Oh, don't don't listen to KD. Here's how you actually do it. And then someone else goes, well, don't don't listen to AK. He doesn't know. This is how you actually do it. Right. So we train our reps on what to teach. And then they help that process go through, but we measure everything, right? so often, and this happens a lot of times, you ask people advice on scripting or emails or social, whatever. And everyone always has a response, but no one ever has data. Right? Like, this is how, you know, we're in a, a Slack community called SDR Ready. And there was a question asked on cold calling. There's like 30 different answers to that but no one has ever said well you know what i split tested that opening line versus that opening line and i saw that this line worked better that's the type of shit that i do i'll measure scripting i'll split test and see what the connect rates are and see what the conversion rates are and i've been doing that for a while and so there's a little bit of that art and science of like okay like here's what we taught but then let's measure it so much of sales is this bro science of what they were taught so then they teach it And then those SDRs, one of them makes it all the way up to leadership and what do they do? They teach what they were taught and it just becomes this cycle of everyone like not knowing why they do what they do and it gets ugly real fast.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I... I, I... From my perspective as well, I completely agree with you there. When, when you can actually produce data and give it to people, particularly new salespeople, it builds their confidence. They might not have inner confidence within themselves at the time, but if they know that this process, if you do this, you'll be successful, builds that kind of confidence until they can then start feeling it into themselves a bit more in their own kind of self-belief. Yeah. For just like onboarding should
2: have a lot of selling, and it doesn't. A lot of onboarding is teaching people what to do, but it doesn't sell them on why to do it. Your onboarding should be selling your reps on why they should do what you're asking them to do. Like you get them hyped about it. You get them excited. You bring in all that proof, right? So they believe in it versus just saying, here's the playbook, go. That doesn't do it. And I
1: think... Totally. And I think also the training has to be ongoing. It can't just be when they first start and have their onboarding class or I love the four week boot, um, sales boot camp training that you're talking about before they can close. Um, but I do think it's you know super important that you're continuously giving them tips and tricks because things are always changing. We do... Um, we have our SCR leveling. So when someone first comes in, they're at like a level one. And so they know exactly what's expected of them and the different types of trainings that they should be doing. Um and then, you know, progressing in the role before they're ready to move on to the next to the next level.
0: Mm, yeah, absolutely. And to go back to your point earlier, KD, we mentioned, you know, that a lot has changed but how we how we operate as human beings hasn't I mean I've, I often stick by this saying is that we buy on emotion and defend it with rational thinking in the how like you say these emotive reasons why we buy and it's kind of like it's not just how we buy but how we operate as well and I think you know when sales are coming into a business it's not just about finding that wheel that process but it's also about finding, their, finding themselves a little bit in terms of their mindset and their self-awareness. To understand what they can and can't influence, where their strengths are and where they aren't, and where they need to really spend most of their time or upgrade on versus this comes to me naturally, so I don't need to think about it as much.
2: For sure. Something very unique about us as human beings is we want to believe in things. Like we want to, we like we want to believe in things, right? Whether that's believing in a company, believing in a leader, believing in a religion, a tactic, like we want to believe. And same with selling, right? You need to get the prospect to believe that what you're giving them is going to have the impact that we want. We just forget sometimes to get people to believe in our process, right? We try to educate them on the process, but we don't get them to believe. And if we remember that, if we bring the emotional side into teaching as well, that's what really makes it stick. Uh,
1: Yeah, I think selling... Most of the time is, is an educational sell. You have to teach the prospect because they don't know either. They probably haven't purchased the tool that you're selling. They haven't had these conversations because most of the time they didn't know they had that problem, right? So to your guys's point, it is an emotional sell, but it's also educational. And so it's up to us as leaders to create that process for our people to follow and you know be strong enough to to walk the, the prospect through that in order to make the, to make the sale.
2: Mm. Yeah, education is, is gold. You have to do it. The process though, this is a place that I actually do think salespeople go sideways a little bit. And I know AK probably does this, you know, Chris, like, I'm not sure. So you can tell me like most salespeople don't know what it's like to be a buyer, right? You can't dictate your process to me. Right. The difference in the example you were giving about the lawyer versus a salesperson is who's in control. Right. The lawyer and the doctor are in control, right? They hold the whole process and the patient or whoever has to show up and follow it for buying. If we would just be willing to admit that the buyer is in control, it changes a lot of how we approach things, right? Because most salespeople don't know what it's like to buy. Right? Like I am a buyer and a salesperson. So I'm in a unique position, right? Of understanding like, okay, this is what it's like to actually buy something. I am in control. And the best thing you can do as a salesperson is one, admit it. And then two, help me in my process. It's not about making your process fit me. It's okay. What is your process and how can I help? Right? Oh, you got to go talk to finance? Cool. I already got a two-pager of the top 10 questions finance asks, with testimonials from all the finance people at our company. Oh, you need legal compliance? Cool. I already have this webinar drafted up, ready for them to go because I know lawyers are going to ask these questions. And don't worry, I redlined our contract already. Here's the first 10 things that always get redlined. I already redlined it. Here you go. Like, if you actually understood that you can't control their process, it changes how you sell. And I think that's something more salespeople actually need to remember and understand.
1: Mm. Yeah. Have you ever brought one of your, or any of your people into a buying process? Like when you're evaluating any sort of vendors so that they can learn like firsthand?
2: Yes, absolutely. So my managers for sure, right. I involve them very early on, but I'm actually, I told this story a couple years ago. So this was when I was at Service Titan and I was dealing with a, um, a vendor. And honestly, it was one of those situations where it's like, I wanted to give them money. And they were making it really hard for me to do. But I'm on the demo, right? And it's one of those things where, you know, they called the manager in too, right? Because you know, KD's on the phone, right? It's so like, there's the rep, the manager, and the VP all on this call trying to sell. And it gets to pricing. And right before it gets to pricing, three of my reps were walking by and I waved them in. Like I muted myself. I muted, I said, come here. come here, come here, watch this, watch this, watch this real quick. So they sit down. Right. And they're going over pricing and they told me the price per seat. And this is all I did. I said, Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. And then muted it. And I looked at my, back. I said, watch this. Just watch one, two, three. Well, KD, we can be really flexible on pricing. You know, like really we're just trying to build, build a relationship and you know, we don't want to go like too far. Unmute. And I said, so like, what do you think the best we could do on here? Mute. Okay. Guys, watch this. Right. And so I involved them to show them like how quickly people fold on pricing. But what I was really teaching them is like, guys, are they selling anymore? Notice how they're not selling anymore. They're just talking about price. Right. And that was a big eye opener for them to be like, this is why you have to sell through the whole process. So I love to pull in reps, especially my managers in so they can learn what that's like. Cause then that goes down to the sales rep.
0: Mm, nice. 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 And on, and on that point, it kind of leads into the next question really around, I'm, I'm really interested within, obviously we talked about the world of sales, as so many different approaches and types of people that work within it. But from your own perspective, and, and not saying this is something that every salesperson has to have, but what are one or two top traits, skills or habits that you think you might have mentioned some already that are really going to serve salespeople within the current world, but also the future. So, Ashley, if I could start with you, what's what's your perspective on that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, the one that sticks out the most to me is um, reps that are creative, and I think the reason is because you know, like Katie, being a buyer, someone, someone in leadership that you know, I, I do receive cold emails and cold calls and things on a daily basis, and. That's what my team also does. Um, and I'm more inclined to respond to people that have, have done something totally out of the box to get my attention. Um, and that could be, you know, it could be the different mediums that we were talking about earlier of of how they reach out, but it could also be what they say. Um, I love when people are just like very authentic and themselves, and not using scripts and not um, doing the cookie cutter same things. Like I would, I I'm a big fan of like explanation points or people that read something of, that I've done on LinkedIn and then you know have an opinion on it and actually critique it. And that's how they're how they're getting my attention. So I think any time that someone can can be creative and separate themselves from the millions of other um, reps that are trying to get buyers attention is, is one of the traits that I think is like, you know, most
0: important. Mm. Yeah, it, li- it links in nicely to pattern interrupt. I'm not sure if you're too familiar with that. It's sort of an NLP concept, but it, mm-hmm. it, it looks at the way in which we're conditioned to sort of read things. And, you know, if we get an email and it says, I hope you're well, it will automatically think how many emails have we read like this. There might be cold calls, for example, or cold emails. Therefore, I'm going to read it or get my guard up in a certain way and it kind of locks Mm -hmm. us down and the same with social media as well when you're going through content you know i saw a stat the other week where we scroll through an average 95 meters worth of content a day which is as tall as big ben which is crazy so it's kind of thinking you know if we're going through all of that like what are we what's going to get our attention so i completely agree with that point there um you know i've heard some really good stories of of people who've done that. I was speaking to Scott Barker from Outreach and he shared that every time he started going to networking events, he said, I'm gonna put in the email title Blue Monkey, and you're just gonna remember this so that you're gonna to speak to hundreds of people today, and then after this event, I'm gonna email you that and you're gonna remember this conversation we've had. And he said it was it was a real real success for him. So I love that. I love that point. What about yourself, Katie? What 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 stands out to you amongst probably a lot of the things?
2: I think There's two other ones. I'd say phenomenal listeners, right? Actually, I'll I'll change it from listening to just awareness, like a strong people awareness, which of course is listening, but like having a good sense of what people are going through. And I don't want to use the word empathy right now. It's just more so like they they can put themselves in the buyer's shoes and they can think about what is it like to be a person in this. So they're very people aware, right? Because that's what allows them for my next thing I look for to be very adaptable. Right. Kind of to AK's point to around creativity, because I know I'm going after Ashley or because I know I'm going after Kevin. And this is how I think about him. Here's how I can be creative, because what's creative to me may not be creative to AK or to Chris. Right. And so even things like like the blue monkey and like the blue hippo and stuff like that works for Barker. I may not be able to pull that off. Hmm. Right. And things like that. And so I think the adaptability is key. But one of the biggest characteristics that I wish more sales reps had is low fear. And so I've gotten away from gritty. Gritty is gritty is just another word for stubborn, first of all. And that's why also a lot of sales reps are so challenging to manage, because grit is stubbornness. Like in its core definition, that's what it is. What I actually want are resilient people not gritty and there's a difference gritty is holding on to something very hard right it's pushing through something that's hard resiliency is getting knocked down and getting back up right and there's a difference so i like to ask people like tell me when you have failed tell me like when you messed up how long did it get to take for you to get back on track right like there's a big difference, you know, of what people look for, like the people like have never failed. And sometimes people think that's what I'm looking for. Right? I say like, so walk me through the last time, like you really messed something up. And they think it's a trick question. Like, you know, honestly, like, I really can't think of a, a good example over the past like 90 days. I'm like, I've messed up twice today. Like, what are you talking about? That you don't have like mistakes that you are making, right? So, the resiliency I think is important, and not people confuse resiliency with grit. It's not grit. That's not what I'm looking for. I want people that have failed and have bounced back. So, I think those are those are my core ones for sure.
0: Hmm. And and on the resilience piece, how would you support someone in developing that from from their perspective, or do you think there's a certain natural element to it as well?
2: So you can't develop it much by the time they're an adult, right? Like if you haven't gone through any challenges until you're an adult, like you're going to have a challenging adult life because the challenges start to show up, right? Like you're not in school anymore. It's not like you can just like paint by numbers and pass the test. That's not how life and success works. But in my coaching and training, I make it safe for them to fail right? So my, my reps, SDRs and AEs, they're failing hundreds of times safely before they go out and fail publicly. You follow me there? So like, yeah. that's also where I get to feel their resiliency, but like they've done hundreds of repetitions. They're like, you know, like, yeah, that, that, that wasn't any good. Let's try that again. Right. But it was a safe place to fail. Whereas a lot of companies, they give them like a week onboard and they go, okay, go, Go call mm-hmm. Kevin Dorsey. He's your persona at your account. Go call him, <laughs> and it's like, oh shit, right? So, like, we give them the chance to fail a lot safely before they go out and fail publicly.
1: Mm. Yeah, and then uh, part of that is giving them that confidence too, right? Like, the giving like being vulnerable and confident, and like the combination of those two things in the in like the right combination is is really impactful is powerful for reps
0: yeah yeah and to your point katie to bring up um Pete crosby again he when i asked him i, I loved how he put it because i asked him about the statement um you know sales is a numbers game and he said before the numbers you need to focus on safety and you need to focus on direction you need to create the environment and then you need to give people a direction to go to and then the numbers should follow from that whereas most people will start with the numbers and then Therefore, the safety won't be there because that's all people are focused on and it won't deliver an an outcome that they want to achieve.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. one last thing too, I think with like the failures that you're talking about, I think as leaders, we can do a better job of sharing our own failures too. Um, I love letting my reps probably maybe not don't love letting them know what I've messed up. <laughs> but uh, there is you help it builds trust, right? Like, hey, I'm, I missed the mark here, guys. Like, this is what my intention was. Here's what ended up happening. Like, maybe I didn't hold them accountable to something. Maybe I totally just messed something up. And so the more that you can be honest with them and share that it's okay to fail, um, the more willing they are to try, try new things too, and not, not be, not be fearful of that.
0: Mm. Love it. I guess that Love links it. into your point, Ashley, as well around creativity. And is that something that you work on during onboarding, giving people that kind of safety in that idea process of trying to do things a little bit differently? Or is it something that sort of comes over time?
1: I think it comes over time. I mean, I think the relationship has to be built in the very beginning, which that's, you know, day one that they start is trying to get to know each other and, and create that that trust. But um, I think it it's, almost a daily thing that happens to be honest.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously linked to all of this, you know, we're talking a lot about creating that safe space and having that kind of permission to fail. A uh, sales the majority of it is around failing really it's sort of trying something and it not working and therefore learning from that and you know when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago a lot of is made around sales in terms of success and this is how to be successful and this is how to deal with with objections and overcome anything that comes to you but very little is kind of spoken around the actual rejection so you've got to the point where it is a no the deal has fallen through you can't hit your month's quota you know what do you what do you do then so i'd be really interested to get both your perspectives on on how you kind of we've talked about the environment but how you can kind of as a salesperson kind of deal with rejection more effectively and actually build it in so it doesn't impact your your day the rest of your week the month your year and even your career sometimes as well so katie if i, if I start with you what's your what's your take on that
2: yeah. So we, we try to do a lot of, this. actually funny enough this morning, I took my entire SDR org through a guided anchoring exercise. And so like what, what anchoring is, right. is like setting up a ritual or routine, or generally it's like a, like a body part where like you can squeeze or touch or tap that brings you back to the mental state that you needed to be in. Right. And so what I walked them through is like, I want you to picture a time that you overcame a huge challenge. And I want you to think about all the things that made that challenging. And then I want you to think about why you were able to overcome that challenge. And then I want you to describe yourself in that way. I am blank. I am blank. I am blank. And then anchor, right? Squeeze your wrist, squeeze your thumb, like tap your fingers, like anchor on that. And then we did it again. And then we did it again. And we did it again. And so then it's saying, so the next time you get rejected, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to go anchor back and remind yourself you've overcome way worse than what just happened right? So we, we went through that today, right? Like, because it's something you have to keep coming back to. Mm-hmm. But teaching people how to deal with that is important. And back to something that Ashley said earlier, too, is this is also why having a process is so important. Because that's what I'll ask my reps is, did you do what you were supposed to do? Yes. Then the process is what didn't work. And that's okay, we can fix the process. You are still you. Right, I'm mentoring uh, a young woman right now, and she's going through a little bit of a slump, and that's what we talked about. I was like, "Are you different right now? Are you less skilled? Are you less talented? Are you less motivated?" Like, if you are the same, then stop beating you up because you aren't the problem. It's what you're doing that's the problem, and we can fix that, right? So it's separating the result from the process, right? We are very behavioral based on, on our squad. One of our core virtues is celebrate the process. Is one of our core virtues. Celebrate the process. Celebrate the behaviors. Because if they're doing what I'm asking them to do, whether the result was there or not, I'm gonna celebrate it. I think that's important too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it depends too what type of rejection it is too. Like to your point, Katie, like where where's the rejection coming from? Is it coming from you know, a cold call where you could have controlled things differently. And I like to think of like when the rejection happens to, to analyze everything that's happened around it. And so was it something, was it my tone? Was it something I was saying? Was it that maybe the other person was just having an absolutely terrible day and maybe it wasn't something that I was doing. And so allowing yourself not to take it personal and and remove that, I think allows you to move on much quicker. But then also just accepting the fact that you're gonna get rejection and face that daily in sales. And I think that's something hard for salespeople to accept because most of the personalities that are drawn to sales are also naturally drawn to, you know hating rejection. So I think accepting that if you're going into this type of a career is something that you have to be okay with.
2: Yeah we we try to help the reps plan for it, right? So okay, you're going to get rejected. What are you going to do when it happens? Let's stop pretending that it's not. Let's stop avoiding the rejection. What's your plan for when it's going to happen, right? I'm a big believer in like rituals and habits and routines. So if this, then this. Okay. If I get rejected Okay. You need to release some dopamine into your body. So what am I going to do when that happens? Okay. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go outside or I'm going to send a, a funny, like meme to one of my like, friends. Like we'll share rejection, right? Like these are the calls I like to share, whether it's from leadership or my, like myself, like a manager's like, yo, listen to me, get chewed out real quick. Like just listen to this. Right. Or like, yeah, that one sucked. Right. And we we try to laugh about it, right? But we build it in. Like, what are you like, you know what's gonna happen. So why not have a plan for it? Why not plan something where if this then I'm gonna grab a snack, I'm gonna go outside, I'm gonna message somebody, I'm gonna go on Facebook or YouTube for fifteen minutes, watch something funny, and then come back. Right. So just helping people plan for it too, because otherwise they just get they get hit with it and then they don't know what to do. Right? It's like, well that hurt. Now what? And yeah. a lot of managers are like, just keep dialing. Fuck, yeah. like no. <laughs>
1: like, <that hurts. laughs> I don't, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> uh, so. One of the most one of the most simple things that we do is uh, or have done is just high fives for hangups. Like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen again. Let's let's just keep move on. <laughs>
2: yes. So we did this at, um, at service Titan. And so, you know, there's all sorts of games and spiffs that people love to play out there. And something that managers always come up with every team I've ever run, managers come up with this. They go bingo sales, bingo, right? Like, and you, you know, you can fill in all these squares and I've never gotten to it to actually work except for one time when it was rejection bingo. And we had all the different types of rejections you could get. And that was one of the most fun games that we did. And the only time I ever got like bingo to stick, right? Where people were actually filling out the card where I was like, Oh, I got cussed out. I got cussed out.
1: <laughs>
2: right. Like, and it, it, again, it turned the rejection into a game where it was something like, all right, it happened. Cool. I get to check something off. Right. Like, Oh, this person, you know, thought I was a telemarketer check right (laughs) so like rejection bingo was something that made it fun too i i just need i need to bring it back like just talking through this like that's the only time that bingo worked and it was actually a lot of fun
0: yeah yeah and it it aligns to both your points they're talking about perspective and expectations i think you know i my first job in sales was door to door so i'd go and knock 100 residential doors a day, loft and cavity wall insulation. And we used to play bingo. So when you mentioned it, I was thinking about it just to Ashley's point as well. And it was, it was like, if you've got a door closed or someone said, go and get a real job or like all that kind of jazz, you were like, yeah, perfect, great. I've got another one down. And, right. You know, when I first started doing it, what happened with my perspective was actually, do you know what, it's just a giant game of hide and seek in that I've got to find four yeses. And the quicker I find the no's, the quicker I get to the yeses. And, you know, to your point, Katie, as well, I think sometimes when people come into businesses They're kind of like showing all this great stuff. This is all how successful we're going to be. And this is what you can earn and all that. And then you hit that rejection. You're like, Oh, no one else has talked about this. Should this happen to me? Am I, am I in the wrong? Is, am I the problem? Like no one else has told me about this. And then that kind of resentment can kind of breed because it's like, why don't you even tell me this could happen? Like, why didn't you tell me this? This is how some people see our product or this is how our organization used to work. Yeah.
2: Well, back, back to onboarding and practicing. Like, we practice rejection. Like we practice it. Right. And so we're role-playing, right? Like you and me, we're going back and forth. We're role-playing. We're pro- role-playing. And out of nowhere, I'll be like, what the hell is this call about? Right. Oh shit. Right. Like, and this is, again, it's in a safe space, but it's not like we sit in practice. We're like, okay, let's practice rejection you suck, you suck, you suck, you suck. That's not what we're doing. It's just like within the normal practice sessions, we'll throw in rejections and then be like, okay, see how you feel right now. Take a second. How can we get out of this? Right? You just got embarrassed in front of your peers a little bit. Like what, how can we do this to get back on track? Right? So it's prepare. It's not fair that we only prepare people for the wins. That's not how life works, right? We paint it as this glorious. You're going to two x your quota, and you're going to make all this money, and get promoted in six months. But we don't actually prepare them for the downs and prepare them for the hard parts. That's where more time needs to be spent.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know, I love the point you made as well earlier, actually, around perspective. In that, sometimes when we're in when we're in sell, when we are selling, and whether it's like. The first call, whether it's near the end of the deal that gets sort of knocked back, it can feel like the end of the world because just like we spent so much time into that, or we we feel personally attacked. When, as you right. said, it's it's more about not being emotionally attached to the outcome. It's they can't they're, they're saying no to the product or service. They're not saying no to you. So that's their prerogative. That's their choice. It's nothing personal. Which a lot of salespeople try and make it all about them, which they need to kind of get past themselves sometimes.
1: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, even going away from like the emotional side of it, but like moving more towards like the process and tactical side of rejections is sometimes it's looking at, was that right? even the right account that I should have been going after? Is that the right person in the company that I should have been going after? And I think sometimes we get so desperate, we cling on to just getting a meeting scheduled or just getting someone to say yes and to avoid the rejection that we're not even prioritizing like the business the way that we should be. And so I think part of that is like getting to basics and understanding um like who is the actual persona that I should be going after and the right target account that is that my product is going to be helping and solving because sometimes I think we get distracted and just start chasing everything and that's when rejection definitely happens.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, thank you so much, Ashley and Katie. It's been a a real pleasure speaking to you both today. I've loved hearing your stories and your insights. And um, thank you, first of all, from from my perspective, I've definitely learned something. So I'm sure the listeners have as well. Oh, yeah. Thank you so
1: much for having us.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. And for people that do want to sort of tune in and, and find out what's going on in your world and maybe listen to more of the stuff you're sharing on here, how would they go about connecting or finding you? So, Ashley, if... Is there anywhere in particular that people should link in with you? No pun intended. Yeah, but it is.
1: yeah I was going to say LinkedIn <laughs> is, is definitely the best. I'm on there, um, Ashley Kelly Neely, And uh, we also just started an SDR ready Slack channel that um, we're inviting SDRs across, um, across the world really to come join and learn um, from their peers and from other leaders. So feel free to check that out as well.
0: Great, great. I'll stick that in the, in the notes for anyone that's listening as well when this is shared. And for, from your own, yourself, KD?
2: Um very very similar. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um I don't have any other social channels really, so that's my my only one. Find me on LinkedIn. I'm in SDR ready as well. So it's a great place to get access to to people and thought leaders and managers and everything, like to get questions answered. Um, and I did just start my own private Patreon group, Inside Sales Excellence, where like going a little bit more, um, more in depth, like coaching and training than what you can do on LinkedIn conference presentations. So look me up on Patreon as well, if you want to go just a little bit deeper and um, yeah, reach out.
0: Great. Well, Ashley and Katie, thank you again. It's been a real pleasure. And for listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Awesome. Hey, people. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to find out more and connect with me, you can find me on LinkedIn under Chris Hatfield, H-A-T-F-I-E-L-D, or on my website, www.notanothersalesguy.com. That's www.notanothersalesguy.com. Stay tuned in future for some courses and free content on there as well. But for now, have a good one and I'll catch you soon.